So welcome to Let's Be Clear, the podcast series launched during the COVID-19 pandemic to explore the experiences of people living through this situation, both from a commercial perspective, in society, as employers and as employees. We've had a lot of interesting discussions so far. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Hilary Ross, partner at DWF, who's going to share with us some of the experiences that they've had as an organisation where they've learnt much more transparency around colleague interventions and an awful lot more, I think is fair to say, in what we're going to hear about who they work with and how this has impacted on their lives. So, Hilary, Welcome to the Clear Company podcast. Really glad to have you here. If you'd like to just give us a quick introduction to yourself, that'd be great. And then we're going to have a nice conversation. Thanks, Kate. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. My role in DWF is looking after my colleagues in London as the head of the London office. And also I've got a global role looking after clients and sectors. So I get huge variety in the people that I interact with and work with, which is very, very interesting and uh, exciting for me. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Hilary. And I think that means that we're going to have quite an informed discussion now from lots of different perspectives. And when you and I were chatting you know, recently, one of the things that really struck me was the level of transparency you shared about the learning and the journey that as leaders in an organisation, you'd all gone on through this pandemic, uh, getting to know really who you've got in the organisation and how best they can support and contribute. Can you share a little bit of that with us today? Yes, I mean, I think at the start of this, we we thought we were good. You know, you don't get organisations who ever say, oh, we're really bad at that. But we thought we were doing well, that we were connecting with our people. But I think the pandemic really threw uh, a mirror sorry that's all right dog barking's part of pandemic coping strategies so I think we just let it ride um sorry Stanley um so I, I think one of the things that the pandemic did for us was it threw a mirror up to who we are personally and then also what our colleagues were going through because it wasn't just the pandemic there was a black lives matter issue that came up and it suddenly it really made us think about who we are and what we're doing. Because I think in the past, there's always been a tendency, and I don't think this is just DWF, that you know a leader is strong, a leader doesn't show weakness. And actually, when you deal with a pandemic, you look like an idiot if you stand up and say it's all going to be all right. Never, I think, in, in any of our generation's time have we ever had such uncertainty. We don't know if we're going to be all right. I mean, um, I, I suffer from asthma, so I have genuinely no idea if I'm going to be all right. People who are suddenly stuck at home working in very different scenarios, you know, they may not be lucky enough to be able to put a desk in their bedroom like I'd be able to do. They could be sitting at the end of their bed. They could be alone. They could have their children with them, which is a total joy, but not when you're trying to get through your work. And then on top of all this, all this change, we had Black Lives Matter. And we set up safe spaces for people to come along and talk. And I think that was probably the most eye-opening um, discussions that we've ever had. It really changed my view, not because I ever thought there wasn't a problem, but it really lifted the lid on the extent of the problem 
that our colleagues face on a day-to-day basis, just going about their life. It was a, a real eye-opener for us. And then, of course, you have mental health awareness. And again, to hear people speak very frankly was a complete eye-opener. And, and I think we came to a position about DWF would be judged for the rest of its existence about how we behave during this pandemic and going forward. You know, this is the make or break for any company, not just ours, but it was really important to us that we tried to do more and be better for our colleagues. How did that translate into actions, Hilary? Because one of the things that always strikes me is that as leaders, you're equally facing the uncertainty and the challenges. And you say personally, with your health condition, the the scary nature of of existing and and living through uh, a pandemic. So... How as leaders did you manage that for yourselves and for the organisation? What sort of things can you share with our audience that you think have really either made a difference or just raised awareness? Talking was the start. So creating the forums to have discussions and not going in as a human rather than going in as a leader. So I think it was Mental Health Week. We were having this discussion where people could just join in. They didn't need to speak. If they wanted to speak, they could. And, you know, and I kicked off by saying, well, you know, I'm I'm finding the pandemic hard. You know, the first thing I did was sit down and write a letter to my son and my husband. And it still makes me upset when I talk about it. And I think not breezing in there and going, we're all going to be fine. It's all going to be okay. And actually saying to people, I don't know if it's going to be okay. And I feel a bit scared. Really let people say, well, do you know, actually, I'm really worried about this. Or I'm worried about my job or I'm worried about my home life. It gave people an opportunity to relate to one another as people rather than in that very hierarchical structure you get in any business where there's leaders and then there's a pecking order. So I think that was really the start, Kate, to be able to talk about your fears. And as a result of our Mental Health Week, I had the most wonderful emails from people asking me if I was all right. And that, of course, made me feel guilty because I thought I should be doing that for you. But also when we we were talking to one another, sending out emails, which is not all about facts and figures and uh, looking at, you know, numbers, because behind those numbers are thousands of people, you know, you don't generate money by yourself and understanding that it's people and talking to them in a different way. So just sending out an email saying, I know we're going back into lockdown. How are you doing? I know this is, this is hard, but we're in it together. These are the forums we've got. So we set up forums, for example, that people could, if they lived alone, they could meet up and chat. It could be for an hour. It could be for two hours, whatever they wanted. They knew that they had, an ability to go on and speak to people with similar issues. We have people same. used, sorry to interrupt you there, Hilary, but have people used these forums? Have they been widely, you know, appreciated by, by your colleagues? They've certainly been used. We stopped them during the summer when um, things got back to normal a bit, but they were certainly widely used. And it came as a surprise to me that sometimes people who didn't live alone still felt very lonely and still wanted to have that ability to chat about things other than work um, and how isolated people felt. So yes, they they certainly were used. And I think not just by our colleagues in the UK, it opened up an opportunity to share issues. Of course, globally. And I think that's great because while 
there seems to be an awful lot of moves to make the world come apart. Bringing it together with something as simple as connecting and wanting to speak to other people and not feeling isolated, I think was really important. And it was very good, I think, for people to understand. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. This pandemic touches everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting because when, when we chatted before as well, you've got obviously people working differently. So they're used to being in these amazing big offices. All the DWF offices that I've been in have just been fantastic and social and uh, lots of space for hospitality and people coming and going etc and their transition was now not working in that environment so we've got a lot to deal with there but I think also because of these huge facilities you also had a lot of people who as key workers had to go in and maintain these buildings is that right yeah and our facilities people were our heroes you know they, they didn't have the option of not going in you know they had to go in and all of them had to go through big cities, you know. So particularly going through London, we, we didn't feel that we could ask people to get on tubes. So we, we taxied everybody in and out. We brought food in for them because we thought if they're making this huge sacrifice, and okay, I, I'm not, this isn't an exaggeration, it was a huge sacrifice. They were going out and putting their lives at risk every day yeah, yeah. to sort out our posts, to sort out our clients. And suddenly that gives you an entirely different perspective because while us us as partners think we're all very important and that we're the ones that bring in the money, you realize that we're all dancing in a pinhead. And if we don't have these really fantastic people that come in every day and make the whole machine work, we're useless. You know, they were absolutely fabulous. They were incredibly brave and added so much to our business. We're, we're really indebted to them. I mean, that's just a very powerful statement and one that can be so often overlooked. I think those of us who have not been working in offices in London, for example, really don't have any concept of the fact that these buildings that we're just seeing as empty actually have to keep on running and, and things still have to keep happening in them during this pandemic. So, and, and it's the people, as you say, always at the front line who end up doing that. It's the same in retail. Um, and I know that you work in both retail and hospitality sectors, so there's, you, you'll have seen this as well within your client base. So within DWF then, Hilary, you've got the, let's call them the key work workers who are keeping the, the whole thing running and putting their, their lives on the line. And you've got them obviously also in very difficult circumstances going back, but probably some of them will have had people at home shielding. Some of them may have had to stay away from home during periods of time, you know, managing this virus. What can you share with the audience as to how you supported those? I mean, you've, you've, you've said there's some very practical things that you've done around taxis and, and food, which is just something that others might not think of. And we're here again, and I don't think we're going to be out of it anytime particularly soon. So um, we can share those lessons as well. But beyond the practical, you, you talked about the, the forums and mental health week. Is there anything else that you've either learned from or, or did with this particular sector of your colleagues? I mean, one of the things we asked our partners to do, we have a system of awards called the Rubies, and you get 3,000 points per person to award to colleagues who go above and beyond. And then those colleagues can turn convert those Rubies into money, which they can spend in retailers. So they can, you know, take a voucher or they can buy something off the system they're nice things it's not like a dwf mug or a dwf umbrella you know they're actually although i have got i have actually got a dwf umbrella and i value it very highly (laughs) 
Um, but it's not just sort of, you know, buying those kind of DWF branded things. You can buy other things. And one of the things we asked our partners to do was to recognise the sacrifice that our facilities people were making and nominate them and give them awards and points. And it's not all about money. It's just about saying thank you. Mm-hmm. It's about recognising what people have done. You know, and I think I certainly saw awareness go up. Kate, could I say we were all perfect and every single partner did it? No. You know, um, but I did see that there was much more awareness around what people were doing and the importance of it. And, you know, saying thank you and nominating points for them, I think, was an important point. Certainly something that was warmly received. It's it's recognising and respecting um, individual contribution, I suppose. I know at DWF as well, Hilary, that you've been keeping very close to how colleagues' well-being is coping during this pandemic. And you've been pulse-polling that and, and, and using various strategies to, to keep yourself informed. Is there anything you can share with us today around what mechanisms you've used and what, and what that's told you? Well, I think there's a number of things. Firstly, I mean, as lawyers, you're very driven by chargeable hours for your, your fee-earning population. And it was being flexible. For some people, they just couldn't work because they had the burden of having children to, to look after. Well, not the burden, I know it's a privilege, but, you know, they, they couldn't juggle that. To be able to say, it's all right. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're, you're not going to lose your job because you've got to get through this for the next six weeks, six months. It was also recognising people that were performing highly. If we saw their performance slip off, we knew there was something not right there and saying to them, what can we do to help? And sometimes it was as simple as putting them in touch with counsellors, just so they could say, look, I can't can't do this, you know? And actually, I'm a really great person, highly motivated, very professional. But if I have to sit at my kitchen all day and every day, I can't do it. I need the buzz of people around me. Mm -hmm. So giving them somebody to talk to, you know, that isn't going to say, oh, come on, pull yourself together, but actually listens. That helped, Kate, I think, for quite a few colleagues and really encouraging colleagues to take advantage of that. Because again, it's not, people tend to think if they say they're not coping, that they're weak. And of course, it's nothing to do with that. We all go through periods in our life where we all feel a bit crappy and all need a bit of support and help. And being encouraged to do that, and, and sometimes told, this is what you need to do, and this is what I want to see you do, has helped people. I'm sure you're right. I'm I, I, absolutely sure you're right. I mean, and I think this transparency and openness about the fact that, you know, yes, look, we, we want to maintain positivity and when we need to show hope and, and positive life experience for people. But actually, this is a bit, you know, it's a bit hard. It's a bit tough. And I think you used the term the COVID nightmare last time we were speaking. And then you have to, you, know, you have to turn up for work for your first, you know, eight o'clock or nine o'clock call, having had no sleep all night, because come 2am, you suddenly okay. had the, yeah. you know, the night sweats, and it was all horrendous. Yeah. Um, I think everybody, uh, interestingly, all the way through my career in diversity inclusion, whenever I've been in a room of people and trying to engage them on you know, hidden disabilities and, and people's life circumstances being beyond what we might already know. I've always said to them, you know, if there's anybody in the room who hasn't had that three o'clock in the morning panic attack and then had to go into work and try and you know drag themselves through it, I don't say leave now, but you're probably in the minority. And it always opens up the debate, doesn't it? Because we all pretend it hasn't happened. But I think, you know, so maybe, you know, at, at DWF, you know, just having that dialogue with people and saying, you know, on the days where you feel rubbish because you've not slept, don't feel doubly rubbish tomorrow give yourself some space today 
and then hopefully tomorrow you know we'll be feeling in, in a slightly better space but the the what we can do to help is such a simple mechanism but it's one of those you have to ask twice isn't it what can we do to help nothing I'm fine yeah and honestly what can we do to help seriously I'm doing really well no but really yeah come on what can we do to help that's when you start the dialogue isn't it yeah it's not asking the question because you want a perfunctory answer it's because you want to delve in uh, and again as I say no one's perfect at it but just keeping digging to see are you all right or when something is late or something isn't of the quality you know that person's capable of to be mm-hmm. able to say mm, you're not at yourself are you you know what can we do do you need a day off you know and I've noticed that people are being more honest one of um, my partners was saying that he'd worked really really late into the night and at four o'clock he just had a snooze and I laugh because I thought that's not the kind of thing we would normally hear from it normally be like push through the pain barrier <laughs> and I thought that was really a great thing to see and also I see colleagues when we have these dial-ins I'm in the car because I'm taking my kids to school you know and that was probably not the role model they would have been six months ago so that I think is really welcome one of the most difficult things is we've gone through all of this and like any other business we are looking at things like how much space do we need? We're looking at the roles that people play. And we have had to go through a process of reducing staff because there's just not a role for them. And that has been the worst, Kate, because you're trying to look after them to make sure everybody's pulling together. But you still have to go through this business process of looking at your people and running it as a business. And so we have had redundancy programs. And the thing that has come back really strongly from the fee earners, from the leaders, is we have to treat people properly with respect. And sometimes we've got it wrong. And we've had to make sure the next time we do it that we've learned from lessons and get it get better because we didn't furlough anyone. And ideally, I'd love to say nobody would ever be made redundant, but we have had to deal with that. And it has been a horror, an absolute horror of people going through all this sort of pandemic pain and then not having a job at the end of it. That is horrible for the people that have to do the process. It's horrible for the people who are you know, at the receiving end. And it's horrible for our colleagues who are saying, but I've worked with this person for 10 years or I've worked with that facilities person who came in and kept us running. Yeah. You know, so that is really quite horrific to deal with. I don't think we, we we haven't nailed it yet, but also we can't pretend that we're great and we've got it completely right or that we can't that, that the business priorities still exist. So that that is not easy. No, I'm sure it's a bit you know, the responsibility is is for the whole employee base, isn't it? And and, and sometimes some difficult and challenging decisions have to be made to protect that but it's you know in in the face of a pandemic when somebody's partner has already been made redundant or you know they're struggling in different ways it it just must be so difficult you mentioned earlier about the um the childcare and, and and school runs and things and and that you know some of the positives if you can call them that that have come out of this situation that we're in is that people's lives have become much more transparent by necessity so Where the assumption was, you know, oh, I've got to pick my child up from school, so I can't make that meeting. The assumption might have been, well, you should have made arrangements because you're supposed to be in work. 
and actually the reality is that you know I mean I unfortunately lost my parents when my daughter was extremely young so I never had any family support but the assumption from people who have had that and whose parents have been the default or have had family around them is that well surely somebody could have done it well actually sometimes no but now that's the same for everybody that nobody's got that child support in place and unless they've got somebody living with them who's gone through that process so I think we developed a period where it's much more acceptable to say I've got to take time out to to take my child to school or you know as earlier when Stanley was joining in our conversation it's much more acceptable to say I'm at home I've got a dog he's yeah. going to want to be part of the conversation and I, I hope I really really hope that we can take some of that new openness and awareness of other people with us to the other side because we've got to come out of this as a better society than we went into it because we'd all got a little bit hamster on the wheel I think and 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 I do hope we take some learning from it that means that we stay off that wheel when we come out the other side I don't know what your thoughts are around that absolutely I could not agree more because the other thing I found which really irritated me was childcare seemed to be falling back in the women again Yes, yeah. Although we've got mixed messages around that, I have to say, but generally we, we've definitely come across that. And, and that irritated me because, you know, if you've got two working parents, why should it be the mum who always has to do that? So what we saw our colleagues start to do was say things like, I'm going to work every morning because my husband does the afternoon, or I'll do this morning yeah. and the next afternoon. Deadlines were met, people worked. And actually what we've got here is we're treating people like adults instead of children and employees. And that has got to continue because you get so much more out of people. If you treat them like adults, they will go that extra mile. They will give you that extra 110% if you treat them like adults. And surely that's got to be something that we come out of this pandemic with. Isn't it interesting, though, that in times like this, when people are all thinking of some complex things, and and that's great, and there's all sorts of new digital um, things happening, which is all very exciting. But when I was growing up in HR, and certainly my fundamental principles from an inclusion perspective are, transparency is at the core of it all. Well, we've become by necessity much more transparent. Output-based job design so we don't tell people how to do stuff. We just set expectations with great clarity, understanding and shared ownership. And as long as that's working and that's being delivered, then how it's delivered, obviously within values, is is a fundamental part of, of an inclusive strategy. And actually, because we've all now been forced to work at a distance from our colleagues, that level of trust has had to go up. And I just, I hope I'm going to see, well, we're going to see collectively more things like, you know, levels of disclosure, levels of sharing, requests for adjustments so people can perform better and more comfortably at work because we've kind of got that dialogue started now, then there should be a build on it, hopefully. I don't know if you've seen any of that at all at at DWF, Hillary, in terms of people just, you know, starting to just ask for help a little bit more, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And just one thing you said there, Kate, really struck a chord with me how you deal with certain different ways of thinking, different approaches. I hesitate to say disabilities, but just different ways, you know, they've come to the forefront as well. Because while people might have had a lot of coping techniques to deal with an office environment, they're suddenly flung into a very different environment. For example, in an office, if you were dyslexic, you might be given um, a dictating machine, word recognition, so you don't have to do your own spelling. There, there could be a whole load of things that are all set up in an office to help, that you're suddenly flung into a different environment where maybe you don't have those 
supports, you don't have the routine. And we've realised that just because we were supporting people in a work, an office environment, we had to recalibrate and relook at that again from a perspective of working at home in a very different environment. One of the things that we've tried to do is link people up with mentors and right. be able to say you can achieve anything in this firm that you want to achieve because here is the example. You can look up and see people that are like you and we need to be more transparent with that because there's something we did recently where um, the feedback was, oh, we didn't know you'd partners that dyslexia. Yeah. Chances are with the numbers involved. <laughs> yeah. And so to be able to say to people starting their career, it's fine. We'll have workarounds for this and we will help you and we'll support you. You don't need to fit in to the idea of what you have as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You are the idea of a lawyer. What we're going to do is try and help you succeed. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a real opportunity here, isn't there, to just step back and think about how those mechanisms can work. And, and that's a positive one in terms of, you know, funnily enough, I've just been doing an interview today for one of our Clear Assured partners around their reverse mentoring programme, which was really interesting. And, and during the pandemic, it's brought additional benefits of linking in people who would struggle perhaps to navigate the hidden rules and make those network connections because they're on the other side of a screen as opposed to walking past a coffee machine and being able to say hello so it's been really interesting for me how these things have just changed because of necessity and I just really hope that we can continue the progress that we've made and um, I know that DWF are doing an extraordinary amount I mean Ty one of your colleagues came on one of our forums recently was sharing with the audience there about the charter that you're creating it's mindful charter isn't it yeah and I've already started saying to people don't send me an email after five o'clock with attachments on it because what do you want me to do stay up all night or cancel my day the next day because that's essentially what you've just asked me to do and I I think there's some really good learning came out of that so has has that been launched yet at DWF or is it in the process of doing just in the process Uh, it was literally last week that we were uh, we launched it so we're in the process of rolling it out Again, I really don't want anyone to think that we are sitting crowing about what DWF does. No, I know. It's it's not enough, but we are trying really hard. And I think that's what the pandemic has really brought into sharp relief. You can't just sit and pat yourself on the back and think you've reached a plateau. It is constantly changing and you have to constantly change with it. You're never going to get on top of this, but at least you can maybe go with it and understand. And I think, you know, the charter is a really good start. And I think the other good thing that's come out of this is people are understanding. You do not need somebody to sit at a desk from nine in the morning to 12 at night mm-hmm. to be a good employee. So it's it's moving away from some people's traditional thoughts to embrace what we've always tried to do, which is agile working, flexible working. And it's something that we had in place before the pandemic. And I think some of my partners think I made the pandemic up to make them. um, it is part of a a journey to try to get to the right place because there's so much wrong with law as a whole it's far too privileged it doesn't allow access for people to get in so one of the other things we've done is we've scrapped a-level results is one of the things that we look at to try and make it more open for people of all talents to come through rather than you know just look at it from being an academic until you do that, you, you are not going to be able to get diversity and inclusion and innovation. And that's what the law needs. It needs much, much more innovation. 
Yeah, and I agree entirely. And also, I work a lot with Lloyd's Market, as you know, and it's very similar there. It's about future-proofing the sector because the generations coming through and the difference and the, and the global fluidity that we've got, we don't want to be an isolated element of that that we have to call on if we have to. It, you know, there's so much more potential for the law firms to to support and, and, and help organisations grow and innovate, as you say. But you're not going to do that if you don't connect with the people. No, exactly. That's the base, yeah. You, you don't innovate in a vacuum. It's your people that help you innovate and come through and make a different place. And yeah. we've got to connect with as many people as we can from different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, if we want to really change what we're doing. And people often say, oh, well, you know, the reason that laws never change is we're not on a burning platform. Well, we are. It's feeling that way to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, think, I think I think way back when and not very long ago, the European car market didn't think it was on a burning platform. Well, you know, let's look at that as a historic model of maybe we should have woken up a little bit earlier. Um, and there's so many of them, really. And you can't operate in a bubble and be sustainable in practice, I think. But um, what I wanted to end on, really, Hilary, if that's OK with you, is just to say that, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your transparency. And I think the word you used when we first met was around... Maybe we've all been a little bit complacent and complicit whilst thinking we were doing the right thing. And if this pandemic achieves nothing else, and I hope that it does, then I think it's woken up lots of people, including obviously yourselves and your colleagues, to feeling like you're doing the right thing. Trying to squeeze in the time to do the right thing when you can is not going to create an integrated and values-based society or employer. So it sounds to me like you're, you're on the journey. You've got a long way to go, I'm sure, and I hope we can share the next stage with you. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kate. And really, thank you. really enjoyed it. I have as well. I've really enjoyed the company. For anybody listening, the podcast series can be found on most of our podcast platforms, including Spotify and Google. And captions versions are on our YouTube channel, which is The Clear Company. So please do access those if you would like to. And thanks again to Hilary Ross from DWF. And we look forward to seeing our audience in our next podcast series. Mm-hmm.